Welcome. This is an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. The topic is Supporting Healthy Sexual Development in Children and Youth, delivered by Tracy Sandor, MFT, during our Restoring Intimacy Conference in September 2015. Other recordings from that event are available on our website, www.healthyintimacy.net. So I'm Tracy. Um, I love what I do, and I'm really happy to be here today. Um, I guess I'm, I have to admit, I'm sort of an adrenaline junkie. Um, I like trauma counseling. I like being in the heat of the moment in tough conversations with people. I work a lot with first responders, so again, you know, the heat of the moment, really, really tough stuff. So the sexuality part of it fits in pretty naturally with that. I'm really comfortable talking to kids and families in conversations that are typically really hard, um, but it doesn't have to be. So my hope is that after today, it doesn't feel um, so hard for you either. Um, I guess I, I want to know a little bit about you guys. So it looks like there's a lot of parents in the room. So raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay. Um, are there therapists in the room also? All right. Are there clergy in the room? What other category did I not say that you feel you in recovery? Great. Everybody else fits into one of those. So okay. Um, well, I'm a parent. I have a 17-year-old daughter, senior in high school. I have a 20-year-old son, and I've been having these, these conversations with my kids from the time they were young. Um, it's really clear to me that these conversations are not happening enough for our kids. Um, and the more I talk to the kids, the, the more I become aware of that, the bigger the problem feels to me. So it's just become a passion for me that um, I open my mouth a lot. Probably a lot of people walk away from conversations with me at the football game or at church or whatever, kind of going, whoa. Um, but I'm just comfortable doing that. And I think a lot of parents really love their kids and want to do right by their kids and just have no idea how much we're missing the boat. Um, our kids are being raised in a world so different than the one we grew up in. Um, and they really need us. So that's what I hope you take away from this today, is that our kids really need us, um, and whatever you have is enough already to get started in these conversations. So here we go. The question of the day, what do we want our kids to know about the nature and, and meaning of sex? If we're not talking to them, they're filling in the blanks, right? They're gonna fill in the blanks for the things that we're not willing to talk to them about. Um, so I think it's really important that we consider what is important to us. What do we want them to know? What do we hope they believe? Um, we need to be intentional in the same way we're intentional in how we discipline our kids and how we educate our kids about other things. We need to have a plan. How are we gonna educate them about these issues um, and be proactive? And how in the world do we equip them for today's world that again is so different than ours was. Who do we want to teach them? Society? That's happening all the time. With the increased access to information, it is happening. No matter how much you think you can shelter your kids, it's happening. They're bombarded by sexual imagery. 
even at the mall, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's so different. Um, they just have a lot more access to images and information than we ever did. Do we want them to learn from their friends? That's a really great source of lots of inaccurate information. Uh, also, they're likely to come in contact with kids with very different values than maybe for them or your family or your uh, religious group. Um, and also, most of those kids, frankly, don't have an adult talking to them. So you're getting kids, educating kids, educating kids. I love this. <laughs> That's how our kids feel. Our kids really believe that they know so much more than we do, and whatever generation it was we grew up in, things were so different, and we will never get what it's like today. And my number one piece of advice is that's true. We don't get what their world is like. I had a professor um, say, uh, we were talking about different cultures and religions and things like that, and how do you sit with a client that's so um, coming from such a different faith perspective or totally different ethnic perspective? And he ended this conversation by saying, however different any of those groups feel to you, none of those differences even come close to the difference between your life and the life of a teenager today. That hit me like a ton of bricks. Whoa. You have to honor that in your conversations with your kids. The influences they're growing up with, we didn't have to deal with that. It's different. So why do we hold back? Why is this so hard? Why is it uncomfortable? For a lot of people, it's the belief that oh, they're young kids. They're not sexual yet. They don't really need to know anything. We want to guard their innocence as long as possible. Um, but I believe there's a way um, that you can understand they are sexual and they can still be innocent and be equipped to deal with an ever-changing world. Uh, we have questions about when is the right time to say what. Uh, that's one of the hardest parts with trying to buy any of the commercially published books that are out there. Like you can find the really intro ones and the really advanced ones, and it's hard to find anything in between. They all have not enough or way too much, it feels like, to me anyway. Um, so there aren't black and white answers to that, what's appropriate at each age. Every kid is different. Um, their development is different. Um, our own personal discomfort gets in the way. How many of you had parents who educated you about sexual topics and intimacy? A few. That's, that's actually more than I expected. Yeah. We, nobody modeled for us how to do this. We're forging a new, new way in, of interacting with our kids. Um, I think a lot of parents have fear of criticism and judgment. It can be tough if you're teaching your kids um, correct body terminology, things like that, and they're going to school and they're saying those terms, they're comfortable with them because they've learned that and they use them at home, and so and so, and you get a call from the neighbor down the street saying, I don't want my kid hearing those words. Same thing, you don't want them using it in the classroom in an appropriate way, so that can hold us back. So there's, there's another step that comes with teaching them some of those things, is teaching them 
How do you when is the appropriate place and time to talk about these sorts of thi things? Um, they can even be bullied on the playground for using words that the bullies don't think are cool or you know, might make them a target. So all things you have to be conscious of. Uh, the personal discomfort uh, part of it, I, I just like to add in a story about how, how I worked through that with my daughter. Um, I always told her that we were just going to have to start having uncomfortable conversations. I put it right out there. They are uncomfortable. And, and I said, you're welcome to just sit here with me. You're welcome to hide your head in the pillow if that's what feels better. You can turn your back and I'll give you a nice back scratch while we do it. But I said, we're going to keep doing it. Until it, until it doesn't feel so uncomfortable. And here's the reason. The reason is I have to be the person you're coming to about this sort of stuff. I have to be your source of information. So if we do it enough, hopefully after time it won't feel as uncomfortable. About a year or so after that, she's like, Mom, remember when you started having, you know, talking to me about stuff and my body was changing? And I said, yeah. And she goes, I hated that. And I said, I know, it was uncomfortable for me too, but thank you. Um, but, but it's better now, right? She goes, man, I'm so glad you did that. Because now, have you noticed I've been asking you some kind of embarrassing questions? She goes, thanks, Mom. If you hadn't have done that, I know I never would have started coming to you and asking you those questions. So our kids need us to take that first step. They need us to open the door. Shouldn't, shouldn't be on their shoulders. So what's our goal? This is kind of my mantra. Our goal is to raise thoughtful, intentional decision makers who take responsibility for their sexual desires and practices and have skills and knowledge that will help keep them safe. What do you guys think about that? I'd love, love to hear your thoughts, feedback on that. This is the first time I had to kind of put that into words for myself. What does that stir up in you? Yeah. I like how you said intentional decision makers because I feel like that empowers them. Yeah. To help them to it's empowering. Yeah. They can be in control. And they don't have to sit there and react. Mm -hmm. They can be the one that's making the decisions for their future. Yeah. Their sexuality and just to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was an important part for me. Because I think a lot of us grew up in families where we were told what was right and what was wrong, and you just do it and you follow the rules. And, and I, I want my kids to know that, that the decisions they make about their body are big, and the weight of them rests on their shoulders. And I'm here to help them and teach them what they need to know and educate them but it's a big decision they're facing. And I want them to think long and hard about what that means for them, their mental health, their physical health, their relationships, all of that. But you know, when you think about discipline and parenting, when we tell our kids, here's what it is, here's what it is, follow the rules, punishment, it's so easy for them to get lost in the rules and us and mad at us, but when we say, here's what it is, make your decision. The, re the implications of those decisions rest on your shoulders. Wow. They're going to pause, and they're going to think about what they're doing. It's, does that make sense? 
it's so much more intention. Yeah. Well, and to dovetail into that, um, the why, helping them understand the why, so that when they do make yeah. those decisions, it's not just the here and now information, but also the long-term yeah. ramifications. Um, and hopefully all those conversations are happening way before they're ever making a decision. Right. Yeah. I like the thoughtful part. It makes me think of that advanced planning, you know, walking mm -hmm. through it, helping them. Out of, the decisions shouldn't be things that they're going to make in the, in the moment. Right. It's all about looking yep. ahead and, and talking about what would you do in this situation. And how exactly. Would you really preparing them for that decision that's coming later. Exactly. Feel free to challenge me. I'd love it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, not necessarily a challenge. I agree with what you're saying, and yet what I know about child development kind of triggers some fears in me. Yeah. At brain development, most, most children, although you'll find rare exceptions, aren't capable of really healthy analytical decision-making until they're much older, mm -hmm. like 25 to 30 is when right. the brain is fully developed. And so I think that along with this as an early goal, and we as adults need to kind of keep it in mind that it's an unrealistic goal, that children are still rather impulsive. And I think as a safety net, I want to teach my children that it's okay if they make a mistake. And they oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's inherent in this. Uh, they, they are decision makers who will make really great choices and really bad choices, just like all of the rest of us. Yeah, I guess I just was, you know, own personal shape yeah. growing up, that weight of decision is on your shoulders, I'm like, oh crap, you know, you make the wrong one, and then you're... Yeah, thank you, because that is a really important part, so I will think about that. Yeah, how that, that part, um, because I guess that's such an inherent part of who I am as a mom, is I have because I trust them so much to make their own decisions, I trust them so much to deal with whether they're good or bad and whatever comes from that. I trust that they can do that too. So thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that speaks to just individual learning styles and trying to be aware of that. But regardless, when I think of my, to my sons, is one learns by doing and making mistakes. And one yep. can learn from the mistakes of others. Yep. One has to make his own despite what he sees around him. So yeah. Just being able to be aware and tolerate their differences. Right. And so for that example specifically, helping our more impulsive children to understand, yeah, I have a really impulsive side of me. And how do I manage that then in terms of my sexuality? I'm more likely to make impulsive decisions on the spot. Hmm. So how are you going to prepare yourself for that? What's that going to look like for you? Yeah. Did you have your hand up earlier? Yeah. I, um, Marcy's thoughts there about uh, a lack of shame when there's a mistake. I like the picture where the uh, the shame dump truck was yeah. dumping on top, and uh, somebody made the comment, is that my mom? <laughs> and that's exactly right. Mom and yeah. dad put yeah. that shame on us by, oh, you made a mistake. You this and that. Well, that only creates more addiction. Right. Yeah. So, yes, this is our goal, but if it's not, the decisions aren't what we want. Yeah. Uh -huh. We need to let them know that they are still. They need to see that there's space, there's space for that within your loving family. You yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of focused on the word safe. 
now the last sentence, uh -huh. the of sentence. And, and then based on these comments, it kind of has opened up my thought to, to not only keep them safe in terms of avoid uh -huh. potential mistakes, but then also keep them safe in giving them a safe place to fall. And Absolutely, yeah. And, and like you said, if they, if they know they have someone they can come talk to about it, mm -hmm. they're, they're gonna catch themselves much earlier in the process. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, it was interesting how my idea of the word safe changed even, mm -hmm. even hearing the comments. Many facets to it. Oh, safe, yeah. Keep yeah. them in that happy place where they haven't ever made any big mistakes. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but also in terms of, and it says it down at the bottom, teach them about life, sex as one part. You can take this into any area. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so while that feels overwhelming as a parent, it also feels hopeful like yeah. apply it to their sexuality, but also their financial decisions, yep. their spiritual decisions, their education decisions, like everything, and say, yeah. So it, it can open up a dialogue in so many different areas. For sure. As well. Well, and, and while that, that responsibility rests on my kids' shoulders to their decisions, don't get me wrong, they're hearing what my hopes and dreams are for them. They're hearing the decisions I would like them to make but they're hearing that from a place of, here's what I hope for you, here's what I want for you, and here's why. And I'm asking, how does that sit with you? What do you think about that? How is that hard in today's world? How is that hard when that's a different message than you feel like you're getting from every place else? We're talking about that stuff. Okay, does that, okay, moving forward? <laughs> um, without a doubt, the sooner you start talking and the more open of a dialogue you can create within your household, it's gonna play out well for your kids. They're um, more likely to hold off on having sex and will ex exhibit much more safe sexual behavior when they do start being sexual, if they have a place to go. Uh, so how do kids learn? Uh, have you guys seen that before? 10% of what they read, 20% of what they hear. I can't even read that next one. 30% of what they see and do. I can't read it, sorry. Uh, or 50% see and hear, 70% of what they discuss with others, 80% of what they experience personally, and 95% how they explain it, when they explain it to others. So just a good thing to, to think in mind. Uh, keep in mind, as we're wanting our kids to absorb information, we need to be careful and intentional in how we do that. Um, we all develop scripts. Is that a term that's comfortable to you guys? It's how we, um, it's the social role or behavior appropriate to a particular situation that we absorb through cultural influences and, um, and other associations with other people. Um, so it's like the story we tell ourselves about family, about sex, about religion, all that stuff. About love, affection, gender roles, <coughs> relationships, intimacy. Your kids are forming their own scripts about all of those things. So we need to keep all of those things on our radar because they're developing their knowledge, their attitudes, and their values. Um, so gender roles. We have, a, we have a role to play in standing up to the objectification of women. We need to stand up and talk about how women and men have different roles and 
expectations set up by society. You know, all these things we need to, um, to, to be on our radar. And, and like I think you said, it's, it's overwhelming. There's a lot to it. But you're naturally going to start covering a lot of those things as you create these open dialogues with your kids. So I'm a big promoter of just casual conversations. Not the big talk. Not the one big talk that has you covered, done, good. <laughs> um, I would really love to see regular, just casual conversations. And for me, it was a really good approach to ask about their friends. It's a really good end to then get back around to what they're thinking or feeling or experiencing. Um, because they often have a lot of confusion about what their friends are saying or hearing or what's happening in their intimate relationships. Um, there's so much you can do with the setting, timing, and position. I told you that one story about talking with my daughter. Um, a lot of people found in the car is a great time because everybody's looking straight ahead. There's other distractions going on. It's not so intense as sitting down face to face. Um, or even sitting on the couch where you're side by side. Um, any, anybody else found any other great, great settings or times that? I have a question. Yeah. Of course, I, yeah. Um, we, have, we have several children, and so we started with the whole formal, right? Mm -hmm. But lately I've been reading more about that it's better to have it be more casual. How do you suggest that happens in a family with multiple children at different ages and different genders? You know, because I see that you can, you can create casual places with just one-on-one, -on -one, uh -huh. but it's still kind of contrived. You know, it's not in the moment when they're asking a question. Right. Maybe the older ones, because they understand the boundaries about that, but the younger ones, I feel like, could answer it right then, but it, maybe not in the right settings. What would, what would you do? What would you yeah, I mean, you're going to have to determine when those older ones might be asking questions that are not yet age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for the younger ones. Um, but I'd say when you can, if it can be a family conversation, because it's so beneficial for one kid to see another kid asking a question and you openly responding. You know, if you have one that's not as comfortable with that, that may help them join in in that. Yeah, we're a family that can talk about this sort of stuff. Um, but it, it isn't always, what you want to convey to your kids is it's a regular casual conversation. It's not always going to feel regular and casual to you. <laughs> Sometimes it is really contrived because you're trying to find a time to talk about stuff. And sometimes you've really planned it and sometimes you see an opening and you just have to take it. Yeah. I was just thinking of, of, of being sensitive to my own discomfort. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think of a time my wife was combing my daughter's hair and the conversation went there it was like, Dad, are you okay to stay in the room? And I go, oh, yeah, I better stay in the room. I mean, you know, there was that yeah. opportunity of, oh, my daughter's checking out to see if yeah. that's okay. And if I could be in that conversation. Yeah. And even though I wanted to run from the room, I... <laughs> and I don't, I don't find anything wrong with saying, as much as I'd like to leave, this is uncomfortable for me, I'm going to hang. I'm going to stay. Because I hope... I hope someday, if you have one of these questions, you could ask me too. She's a lucky girl. Did I see another hand? I, I was just going to ask, it's kind of along the same lines as that with three children, two daughters, and a son in between. Yeah. Who's getting the fun of it. Um, 
<laughs> there's the incomfortability, our own incomfortability. Mm -hmm. Our daughter's 13. Is it, when is it appropriate? Is it appropriate for dad to talk, have these conversations with daughter, or should it be strictly mother to daughter, or yeah. parents to daughter? What have you found, especially when you have a daughter and you said a son, older son? Mm -hmm. Are you both having the conversation? Are you only having the conversation with both of them? What's in my house, we have a lot of dinner table conversations. We just do, the four of us together, um, which mostly makes my husband squirm more than anybody else. <laughs> so uh, we've, had, we've had to work around that, you know, that he's not as comfortable. And that often happens in couples, right? We compensate for each other. We make a good team because we have different strengths. And now it's kind of a joke. Hey, Dad, you okay? We talk about this? You don't have to say anything. It's okay. But they know he's hanging in there. He's there. He's not withdrawing from the conversation. And guess what? He doesn't squirm quite as much anymore. They've helped you your, helped you him. Your daughter being uncomfortable with him being there, and how's that's the case? Mm. How you communicate that? Maybe early on, not so much anymore. It gets. It just keeps getting easier. Do you, yeah. do you find that the kids just respond to the social cues of the parents? Then? Oh and yeah, they're watching you. That's what makes the daughter uncomfortable. If dad hangs in there or is honest about the uncomfortableness, he's working on it, then she's more comfortable. Yeah, for sure. But kids have really good radar. They know if you're uncomfortable. So you might as well just put it out there. And, and I say to my kids, no one ever talked to me about this. No one. They're like, what? Grandma never told you this? I'm like, Are you kidding me? Everything I learned when I was a teenager was from my younger sister asking questions I'd never even thought of yet. There, there was no talk. There was nothing. And I've talked to my kids about what that meant for me then what that meant when I was making decisions that I had never put thought into before that moment and how much I don't want that for them. Yeah. I had the same experience that you did. Very uncomfortable talking with my mom about maturation and that kind of thing. I was sitting on the farthest side of my chair at the maturation <laughs> program and my mom. And so I have no problem talking about this with my kids and so mm -hmm. I put that out there first. I have no problem talking about this. In, in fact, I might talk over. I might give you more information. So we'll yeah. just kind of get. But this is not just one conversation. And yeah. They know that, and they're kind of like, oh no, is this the car conversation? Oh no, is this the car ride that we'll? Yeah. We're gonna. <laughs> but they they know that it's a series of conversations. I'm yeah. glad that I get to kind of feed into that health conversation at school. Mm -hmm. or that Absolutely. I get to. Like you guys talked about that, hey, cool, but uh, it's not so right, or yeah. that came up. So, whether it's a continuing. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a multiple kids um, situation pretty early on with my oldest. We were sitting on the couch and having a conversation, and I can't remember how old he was, and my second one came up and popped on the couch. And I hadn't like, mentally thought before, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah. And so I kept going and kept hmm. talking. And my younger son asked questions. And I kind of learned that because we have, now we have dinner, we have four kids, and now it's a dinner conversation too. 
And I kind of learned that the younger kids kind of get from what they can understand. Yep. And then you keep having the conversation, and the more you talk about it, they just start mm -hmm. to understand more and more as they get older. And so, but that was kind of the moment that it turned from only talking with one kid to the ability to talk to all the kids at once. And sometimes I still talk to, I mean, my older one is kind of older, mm -hmm. and so he gets more conversations about, you know, sexting and things like that that my younger one still yeah. can't get, but if they came up and started listening, then I can totally adjust the conversation so that it can be appropriate for them too, so, so that's when it became a family. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's also great then when you can have that moment where you kind of catch the older one's eye and you can communicate to them like that part later. They know exactly what you're talking about and that's kind of cool, right? Yeah. Um, we have a seven-year-old girl and um, our family is in crisis right now, but um, one thing that I really found with her because she definitely has the MO of mm -hmm. stuffing everything down, um, um, <laughs> he's not here. Um, but um, doing artwork with her mm, is yeah. really, like, and it wasn't even the plan to to broach the subject during that. Mm -hmm. but we did some artwork, and it was just a flow of information. That's um, so powerful. Directly, like with yep. school today, you get nothing. Yeah. So, like you know, kind of putting her at ease. And also something that's really helped me during this crisis period is the having a parent, like having her best friend's mom, who's mm. close to as well, just being there. You know, yeah. she's, if she's not comfortable with me, you know, for me to meet her mom, if I wasn't, um, maybe she'll be comfortable with her. Mm -hmm. um, also, I was wondering if you had some suggestions maybe later for making sure the two parents are on the same page uh, as far as language is concerned when you sit down with your kids. I, I think you can have some of those conversations with your partner um, about language, but I also don't think there's anything really horrible about sounding a little different from mom than from dad. I mean, you want your basic values to be the same, you want the message to be the same, but if you language it a little bit differently, I think that's probably a benefit to your kids. Um, and also, I wanted to touch on what you said about your neighbor. That's so important. Your kids should know who else they can talk to other than you. I have one sister who doesn't have kids, and I'm telling my kids, if you've got something, if you can't talk to me about it, Auntie Steph is there. She knows my values. I know she loves my kids. I want them to go to her if that's what they need in that moment. They'll circle back to me later, um, but that's really important. Um, and it brought up one more story. Um, I had to tell my daughter you know, the full details about sex probably a year earlier than I had planned because she had a best friend and we had an agreement kind of when one girl was ready, the other was ready because we spent so much time together. Well, her friend's little brother was the scientist of the neighborhood. And he got to the point where he had to have answers. Tell me what's happening with these animals and tell me how it happens in humans. So I got the phone call of the day has come because Marcus had to have answers. <laughs> so we don't know how and when our kids are ready, but they let us know. And if you've built up the comfortability and the language and all that stuff before then, it's not that big of a deal. All right, keep moving here. Um, I think it's really important that we talk about the pleasure and the good sides about sex at the same time 
that we're talking about safety. Having those two things separate, I think, creates a lot of confusion for our kids. Um, you know, we have this whole fear thing of that there's predators out there or that boys might try to take advantage of you and all that. And, and then there's, you know, this sex is good, what is pleasure? They're really disconnected for our kids. And I think it makes it more challenging for them to make sense of it all. So we need to present the whole picture. Um, we need to be talking to them once they're old enough um, when they're actually in an intimate relationship for what is consent? What does that mean? What does that look like? And how will you assert that? We all negotiate in our intimate relationships. What would it have been like if someone actually talked to us about that? If we realize people have different preferences and needs and in a healthy marriage, you talk about that and you negotiate that. Can you imagine? how different our relationships might be if we grew up thinking that that was part of being in a healthy marriage. That's exciting for me to think that our kids will learn that. Um, we need to acknowledge sex is good. That's the main thing I, I tell my son when we talk about pornography. I'm like, honey, the real deal, it's good. Don't wreck it for yourself. It's worth waiting for and it's so much better than anything on a computer or or any place else could give you. Don't do anything that would rob yourself of that very sacred thing. Of course, they need to learn the biology, all that part of it. That's often how it starts when they're younger. What's happening with my body? What's the biology? Where do babies come from? Um, the article that I uh, cite at the bottom there had an interesting piece about ambivalence that I'd never really considered before. You know, when you're dating, what if you're ambivalent about being intimate with this person? What if in your marriage you're at a point where you're ambivalent about intimacy at that time? Maybe something's occurred. Wow, what a great opportunity for our kids to think about that. It all goes back to consent. What do you want? And teaching them to listen to their own inner voice. Oh, of course they need to learn about danger. They need to learn that the definition of abuse is no consent. And when you're a kid, you cannot consent. The law says you are not old enough and able enough to consent. So if something sexual is happening when you're a kid, it's abuse. I can't tell you how many clients I've had have come and told me stories from their childhood and they say, I lost my virginity. And the look on their face when I say, no, you were raped. No, no. They never even considered it. And that word was like a slap in the face. We need our kids to know if something sexual is happening to a child, it's rape, it's molestation. Because no matter what, when it's a kid, if they're not getting help and they're not talking about it, the blame for that will lie on their own shoulders. That's how kid, kids make sense of the world. It must have been my fault. There must be something inherently wrong with me. So they need to hear a different message from us. Did you have your hand up, Scott? And the same in marriage. Yeah. In fact, I remember talking to our kids that, you know, a husband can rape his wife. Absolutely. And early in my marriage, I didn't understand that. Yeah. But I did understand that. It was, was one concern. <coughs> and then the wife can take the blame of that 
he went that evening. He although yeah. legally and morally, yeah, I, I, we have sex, but yeah. if there's not consent even within the marriage. Yeah, can happen anytime, anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we need to be okay talking about healthy, unhealthy, and unhealthy behavior. Um, and in today's world, there's a huge range of what that means. Um, and it, there, are, there are no standards that we can say what is healthy and what is unhealthy. Um, and, and the ideas and images that are out there are more shocking than ever before. Um, so again, we need to empower our kids to consider what is healthy for them. What is unhealthy for them? What are they comfortable with? What is something that they would never consider? They need to make those decisions and be thinking about things before they're in that situation. Uh, we need to talk about the emotions involved in sexuality and intimate relationships, the sensations. Teach your kids about their bodies and where those pleasure centers are, um, and fantasies. We all have them, but being able to talk to our kids, you know, especially if we're asking them to wait and be more conscious that honoring. We know you're having thoughts, your hormones are changing. Um, getting comfortable talking about that. One more? Yeah. Just this week, our last song, we had uh, the opening to him. But it's not a new topic to the family. We, we talk openly with all the children. Uh -huh. And so afterwards, uh, the next day, I came up to the other children and hey, we all sat down and the young son was there. And, I said, so what was it like when we first told you? What was it like when we first told you? Oh, and so he got to hear their to thoughts. hear that, hey, you know, yeah, this is a little weird. It's different. You've never thought about it before. Yes. Yeah. Acknowledging to my young son that it's okay to think that this is kind of gross at the beginning. Yeah. Because it is. And every child, I thought it was gross when I first heard. Yeah. So acknowledging that emotion. And how cool that they can sit there and watch dad sit in that uncomfortableness with them. This is hard, it's weird. And each of you went through the same thing. Excuse me, same thing in your time. Yeah, so you're really honoring his emotions that you can predict are coming up and, and giving him a place to, to talk about those. That's awesome. A lot of courage in this, in this room, in this day. It's really impressive to me. So the toddler years, starting to talk to kids about sex. Um, and it starts when they're babies. And you're wiping, wiping their bottom, changing their diaper, talking about what you're doing, who can do that, who can't do that. Uh, you're looking for those teachable moments when they're going to the bathroom, when they're in the bathtub, um, when they're touching themselves when they have questions, um, you're just looking for, like I said, when they give you an opening. Uh, you wanna give accurate but uncomplicated answers. Toddlers don't need a lot of information. They're gonna let you know, uh, like she was saying, the little ones started to kind of fade off after a while. They really don't need much, but they need to know you'll tell them the truth. Um, use correct terminology for the body parts and start early, responding to their natural curiosity. Um, talk about how boys and girls are different, different kinds of relationships, and how that connects with intimacy. But mostly you just want to set that tone, that this is, this is how it goes in our house. We talk about this sort of stuff, just like we talk about everything. It's all normal and okay. Uh, you want to specifically address self-touching um, 
especially if that's an issue for one or more of your children. Um, and we want to teach them how to respect and protect their bodies. Um, putting this here so I can keep track of the time, but it's beeping at me. Um, we want to teach them that no body secrets ever are okay. So if any, because anyone who's likely to abuse them, they're going to tell them that they have to keep the secret, and will and will likely there will be threats involved in that. So they need to learn early on that body secrets are never okay. Um, and the reality is, I, I don't have the statistics with me, but a recent report I read, the vast majority, you already know that if kids are going to be abused, it's going to be by someone that they know, right? And the, the greater majority of the offenders are children. It's happening in our schools and daycares and churches. So that somebody isn't a big bad somebody. Could be anybody, and most likely someone that they know and love. All kids need to know how to protect their bodies. Um, that wasn't something we had to worry about before, but kids need to hear that specific one now because that's, that's become huge. Uh, they need to learn that a body touch might tickle or feel good. You hear many children that were abused, that, that's what changes it for them. They, it felt good, and so then they share the blame. It felt good, so then they let the person do it again. So kids need to understand, anybody touching your privates is abuse, and that might feel good, but that doesn't mean it's right. Still not okay. Um, and even if you know the person, or if they're another child, it's not okay. So they need to hear loud and clear um, that they will never ever be in trouble for telling body, about body secrets, even if it's about dad, or grandma, or the babysitter. I think you have to say people's names, give them a face to it. Anybody, you'll never be in trouble for telling. Yeah. I know this should probably be simple, but can you give an example of body secrets? What do you mean by that term? Um, abusers, if they start touching a child, um, they'll say, you know, keep this a secret. So a secret about someone touching your body or someone taking a picture of your private parts. Does that clear that up? How, how does that sit with you guys? Not intended to scare you. Yeah. I'm trying to navigate the waters of my six-year-old still in that kind of phase of self-exploration and all that stuff and his Really, you know, he he and the girl two doors up, they're really, you know, close playmates and stuff. And sometimes he, he's just so comfortable around her that mm -hmm. he'll go to the bathroom with the door open, or he'll, mm -hmm. you know, start pulling down his pants when she's still around and yeah. trying to. And he knows that it does feel good, and so we're trying to figure out, okay, well, it's, it might feel good, but it's okay. Pull your hand off of that, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you just start talking about that that's something, um, you know, that as you get older, that's something that happens in private. If you have the need to do that, it's not, it's no longer okay to do that in front of other people. Yeah, it's for private. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't remember the exa exact statistics, but it was, it was more than half of the abusers were children themselves. Yeah. What would, what would lead that to happen? You know, what in society is causing children to offend? Well, this is my slant on that, but I mean, children are offending because they're being exposed to things. They're abused themselves or exposed to sexuality in ways that they're 
not prepared to handle, so they're, they're acting out what they've seen, seen or experienced, yeah. I'd say also that when I grew up, they would not have called that abuse. You know, so hmm. they changed the definition of what class. So the behavior not, not hasn't incorrect. changed as much, but the Yeah, if, kids, if one kid did something with another kid, they wouldn't have called that abuse hmm. at one time. I, I, I would agree with that, that we have changed how we view that. Yeah. And to that, I show me yours and I'll show you mine. I'm a six-year-old with a playmate in the backyard happened generations ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a difference between the age difference, too. I mean, yeah. you can have a child who's using another child, and there's a five, six, seven-year right. age gap, and then you can have two, four-year-olds, right. you know, that are, yeah. you know, that are, and, and there's, I mean, that, I, I think that's, uh, determines, like, some of the trauma. Yeah. Exactly, yep, yeah, yeah, it's in the back. I just, I really like the slide a lot. I just want to underline, you're talking about toddlers, and I totally agree with your age range, and I think, a lot of people think this cuts in at five or six. Long before, yeah. Yes. So I have a baby who's three and a half, and she loves to touch herself. In, like she is full on, appears to be masturbating, and um, you know she'll have her clothes on or she'll put her hands down in her anus. And I've told her that oh that makes me uncomfortable. I want you to do that around mommy. And I'm trying to keep it low key. Mm -hmm. but how do I address it in a healthy way? I, I know that um, she did she did something, I can't even remember what, that she wasn't supposed to do. She hit a sibling or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're going to time out. You need to go to your room now. And I used a short voice with her, which just devastates her. You know, She was really caught off guard. And when I went up to her room, I like had this impression to go see her right then. So I went up, and I found her in her room, comforting herself by masturbating or touching herself. And so I just picked her up and held her and rocked her and talked to her. I was like, it looks like you're, you're rubbing your body again. And she said, yes, I want you to go away. And I said, do you want me to go away because you need to be alone? And she says, yes, I want you to go away so I can rub my bummy. So, you know, this for me is very triggering. It's mm -hmm. very painful as a mom to have a, this tiny person you think isn't capable of being sexual, appearing to do things that are self-sexual. Self-soothing. Self right. Self-soothing. So yeah. But it's the type of thing that if it continues could be really unhealthy for her. Could be. But generally toddlers work through that. It's really common for toddlers to have that and then as they start venturing out in the world a little bit they find other ways of soothing and they connect with other kids more. Really common. More. I have six kids in this, you know, my boy did it a tiny bit. Yeah. But this, you know, baby girl is like I would suggest you touch base with your physician, but it's really normal for some kids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what she's mentioning, I just recently heard that if the child does that, that could be a real red flag of abuse coming from somewhere. Like it's not, it could be something they're doing. It could be. It also could be a huge red flag if there's abuse going on somewhere. It could be. So again, you should check with your physician. Elementary school years, continuing the conversation. Um, again, I encourage you to just put it out there. That's uncomfortable. No one ever had these talks with us, but that's okay. We're going to talk about it anyway. Um, yeah, I think we kind of covered all that. Um, I, I think it's really important that we, that we 
continue to stress with kids how important it is that we keep talking about it, that, we keep, that they keep asking questions, and that we can ask them questions, um, and that we are the information source. Continue to remind them. It kind of becomes a funny thing, like, isn't it crazy what some of the kids believe about how this stuff really works? And, you know, if you can kind of make light of it, then it becomes a game of, you know, I heard such and such on the playground. Well, gosh, good thing you already know that that's not how it works. Um, we need to be open with our kids about the differences in, you know, our family has this set of values and not everybody does. And that's not our job to decide what's best in that family. Um, but you have to decide what's best for you and we have to decide what's best for our family. Um, but if we don't help point that out to kids, it's really confusing for them. They're trying to understand why people are making different choices and kids are getting different messages from different parents. So if we can point that out, where your values come from, why, why do you believe what you believe? Then they have a foundation for it. It makes sense to them. Trust that they can make sense of it too. Some of the topics you'll want to cover are, and you know, I, someone said we can dovetail kind of on what they're being taught in school and other places. So um, menstruation, intercourse, pregnancy, um, addressing puberty and body changes as they're happening and before they're happening. Uh, we need to be open about the media influences. They need to hear from us. Gosh, when Victoria's Secret first came to the mall, people were shocked. We never used to see things like that. What is that like to grow up in a world where those images are everywhere? How far is too far for you? Hard conversations to have, but really vital things for our kids to think about. Uh, we want to build a foundation for the relational aspect of sexuality. I can't stress enough the message out there in society is that's just for fun. Kids aren't really getting that connection about love and relationships and how sexuality dovetails with that. It's so separate and, and kind of each person's right. Um, and that's probably so different from what we all believe, but are, are our kids hearing that from us? I, I was uh, with a bunch of young adults uh, not long ago and a 21-year-old woman was talking about uh, becoming sexually active in her teenage years and, and stuff. And she said, how come no one ever told me the emotional after effects of sex. No one ever, ever yeah. I that existed. And so like, that's, that's a thing. It is a thing, absolutely. Uh, we have to start young talking about pornography. I don't care what sort of software you have on your computer, your kids will see pornography. It's out there. By like fifth, sixth grade, I was hearing kids in school are sitting in class on their smartphones looking at pornography. It's popping up on your computer no matter how hard you try to prevent it. it can't. You have to prepare them that it might happen, even if you don't believe me that it will. It's not if, it's when. It's when. I'm sorry to say, but it's when. We need to talk to our kids about what happens when that picture accidentally pops up. Why is it bad for us to be looking at that? Why do some people want to look at that? If we, are, if we can't explain that to them, then it becomes this big secret, this big thing that we're just not willing to tell them. And what does that do? Make them more curious. But if you're willing to put it out there and say, you know what? Some adults 
like to look at pictures like this. Here's why it's really bad for kids. If you're still developing and your brain's getting hit with these images, it's going to mess you up for the real thing later. What your brain's not ready. What is considered Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> she said, what is, what is considered pornography these days? That's a really good question. I certainly don't have an answer because it, it's changing, isn't it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Maybe your values could be different. Yeah. Person, if your values yep. are here, pornography is going to be way different than the yeah. values are here. For sure. Any definition, anything that is a, a, cl a clothed person can be pornography if you're viewing and imaging sexual yeah. feelings within inside. That's a totally cold person can happen. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the, you definitely want to prepare them for the, the obvious stuff, you know, pictures of naked bodies, pictures of men and women engaging in a sexual way, stuff they've never thought about. And so then if they see an image of it, yeah. I think we forget that novels can be pornographic. Any description yeah. of it, which is much more prevalent than mm -hmm. the things our kids are reading. So yeah, I'm, I'm hearing. A right, I'm hearing. So I'm not quite sure how um, how our reaction to it, and that varies to from person to person. So I'm not sure how that's connected to the actual definition of pornography. But you guys have stirred my brain. I'll have to think about that some more. Well, when, when an adolescent uh, told me, you know, I read my mom's copy of Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> you know, and that's before the movie came out, and so she was making an association for her of what was pronounced. Absolutely, yeah. Uh -huh. Sometimes I even worry about, like, the bra ads that come up from the, from the department stores, and I yeah. find myself quickly hiding those. I have a couple of growing teenage boys, and it just doesn't feel right to me to have those yeah. out. We, they are really good about walking down the mall and looking at yep. there and look at me, Mom. It, we cover up. It causes cover up the, a reaction for them. We cover up the bikini gals on you know at the checkout counter at the grocery store with those little Red Reader's Digest ones. And mm -hmm. hey, let's put some spaghetti on her. And I mean, it's kind of a game, but it's yeah. really helped my sons to be like, okay, I. I need to be sensitive to yeah. the images that I'm seeing. If you're a teenage boy, you will react. And they have this dress that comes down to their belly. Yeah. I need to put some spaghetti on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so great that you're, you've made a game of it with your boys and they can talk about it and you're just honoring. This causes me to react. Yeah, it's real. I think when you have situations like that, when you're walking down the aisle, yes, you want to cover it up, but I would also have a conversation around it too. Like, what is this teaching you about womanhood? What is this teaching you about manhood? What is this yeah. teaching you about your sexuality? So that you're not just like pushing it away, but you're right. actually having a conversation about what this is teaching. Yeah, what is the message that they're trying to send? And what is their goal? Their goal is to make money. And what are they capitalizing on? Yeah, and at the same time, I would get, you know, ads and just quickly recycle, <laughs> right, immediately. But then we had a discussion once about the shame and mm -hmm. hidden secrecy of all of that. And so I, I tried to be a little more open and just say, don't worry, I got rid of the underwear ad. You know, I just want them to know, like, I, it, it came, we figured it out, it's not a big deal, we can discuss it. Yeah. You know. 
Trying right. to make it a little more open. And Keeping it open and lighthearted. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I know you're going to get that in, in other sections, but it, it's just so important for us to consider that our kids have developing brains. It's very different for a, a child's brain to be viewing pornography than it is for an adult's brain. And our, we know now that our brains are constantly growing and changing, but our brains work like our muscles. Whatever you use, it gets stronger. And if your sexual connections, as you're learning about sex and growing and developing, if those are all tied to the viewing of pornography, that then becomes your stimulus response. You've strengthened that muscle. And all that other circuitry isn't being connected. So that's where you end up with people who are no longer aroused by another human being. They need that image because they've hardwired their brain to that. So I think our kids need to know that. There are real true implications to viewing pornography when you're a child. Um, I, I, um, I looked for the source of that, that first uh, statistic there and I could find varying different responses, um, but it's just to say that daughters that have present fathers in their lives that are actively involved in the marriage and in parenting are the most influential on your daughter's choices sexually. She's basing her choice of a partner on what she sees in you. That's a really cool thing if you're a good dad. Um, and important to remember during your daughter's teenage years, she's watching you. You're teaching her how she deserves to be treated, teaching her what she should believe about herself. Uh, we touched a little bit on that we're, you know, boys and girls, we're going to have different conversations with them. It's not, not always the same information that they're looking for, not always the same information they need. Much of it is, but some of it's different. Um, you're just increasing in the, the topics that you're starting to cover. Um, really important to put it out there, talking about self-image, especially with what they're getting in the media. You know, we're, girls are learning that your self-image is based upon are you desirable? Are you pretty enough? Tall enough? You know, all those things. Sexy enough? Uh, we need to be talking about rape and date rape, risky behavior. We need to be open about arousal. They're starting to experience it. So is it something they can talk about or something that they need to be secretive about in your house? Um, our kids deserve to hear what our values are. What are your hopes and dreams for them? What do you want their intimate relationships to be like? What do you hope they experience? Let them hear your heart and soul. And again, empower them to make a personal decision. Um, I, 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 think I, it's, I think it's setting positive expectations when, I, when I'm telling my kids, sex is, sex is good. It's worth waiting for. It's worth being intentional about. Um, and it's worth protecting. And, and over everything else, you need to convey your faith and trust in them, that they are competent, smart, faithful, loving individuals who can make good decisions, they can rebound off of their bad ones, and they can forge a path for a healthy life for themselves. Yeah? Do you have um, a good resource to recommend with all these topics, you know, or, or uh, 
Because these don't all come up. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's partly why I gave you the handouts, so that you can take that home and kind of use it as a checklist. What are the things we've talked about and what are the areas that like, ooh, I haven't gotten to that yet? Resources are hard to come by. I think there's several books I did list on the last page, the research page, but many of those books that cover a lot, I think cover too much. Um, and I don't necessarily want my kids getting it. When they need some of that information, I don't necessarily want it presented the way those books are. So sometimes I use those books for myself to go, okay, I gotta make sure I get this and this and that, or I might photocopy part of it. But that that's... I really love, um, it's Educate and Power Kids, 30 Days of Sex Talks, and they have three separate books, one that starts with the younger and then middle and then older, and it's just going through each of these topics that you can go through with your kids, but it's very um, conscious about you as an individual and making sure that you, you can fit it into your value system. So I really like their stuff. Say it one more time. It's Educate and Power Kids, and it's 30 Days of Sex Talks. And you never know when those opportunities are going to come up yep. for any of these. I, I hadn't had the an oral sex discussion with my kids. My oldest came home from sixth grade and says, Dad, I know where the uh, oral sex, he didn't use that term, but I know where the oral sex staircase is in the middle school now. I found, I found that out today. And I wouldn't have thought there was a, you know, any place that middle schoolers were going to yeah. do that. So it's, it was a rude awakening. Yeah. Continuing with the teen years, be clear that safety is non-negotiable. Set those boundaries for you know, how they're gonna keep themselves safe um, and let them see a different tone in your voice when you talk about that and how important that is to you and how scary that is really. Um, so important that you listen and ask questions, especially by the teen years. They have a lot to say. So your biggest job is providing that open space and time and that comfortability that you've built over the years for them to be able to talk to you. So asking about their friends, again, can be a really good segue into circling back around about them. Um, this next part is just hard for me. When I first started learning some of this, I went on a retreat, like a sexuality retreat with a group of teenagers, and I was blown away. And these were really sheltered kids. And I had 12 and 13 year, girl, year old girls saying to me, I don't understand. If I save myself for marriage, how is my husband not gonna be disappointed in me? Because for sure he's had a lot of other partners, he has viewed a lot of pornography, and, and if I haven't had any practice, how am I not gonna be a disappointment? That broke my heart. I was not thinking that when I was 12 and 13. I was not thinking that my sexuality was tied to having to be good enough. That's the opposite of what we want our kids to think. We want them to think this is a gift that they choose to give when they are ready and that they accept when they are ready. We got to hit this stuff head on. Um, yeah, we talked a little about oral sex. It's, that's a, that is not sex in our kids' world right now. It's something you can do and still say you're a virgin. Um, it's just accepted that all kids will see pornography, and it's certainly okay for boys to be looking at it. Helps keep them off of us girls for a while, keeps them occupied. Sex is casual in nature, not tied to relationships, friends with benefits, 
and that relates back to being good enough for your eventual partner someday. And for many girls, their self-worth is tied to being desired. We need to change that. Uh, we talked about the development and the addictive nature. This morning's presentation was wonderful, and I just love that. Um, this, I'm going to skip to this last part because we're just about done here. We need to help them critically evaluate the images that they're seeing because they are going to see them. We need to help them be able to look at those images and say, what is wrong with that? And what is wrong with that is that people then grow up believing that that's normal sexual behavior, that those are normal bodies doing normal things, and it's not. It's a huge amount of aggressive behavior in pornography, mostly against women, and no um, remorse for that is shown from the men at all. It's not loving in nature. Um, so unfortunately, <laughs> this is our new reality. We have to equip them to be able to be thoughtful about that and think about it and say, what's wrong with that? And what is different in that than what I want for my own um, intimate relationships? All right, and then I did have that resource page, but again, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to find a book that you could just hand to your kid. Nothing can take the place of you. And like I said at the beginning, you have everything your kid needs to get started. And you can grow and learn with them. But start today, start this weekend. Our kids desperately need and deserve adults that will join them in this crazy world of sexuality. Because they're getting lots of information, and I want you to be their main source. Thank you so much. I love how much everybody participated and that we got to have um, a more <coughs> active time together. So thank you very much. You have been listening to an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. For more information or other recordings, please visit our website at www.healthyintimacy.net. Thank you for listening.